So we can just jump straight in. Braxton Manley is here on the pod today. Braxton is the founder of Braxley Bands. And I'm just going to pause there. And I would love for you to give us a little background on yourself. What are you up to today? And, you know, without it being the most cliche podcast intro question, how did you get to that uh, to that point? Yeah, so Braxley, my company of five years, we make elastic innovations. And it started as an Apple Watch band that we actually were, we, we made an Apple Watch band out of a sock for a class project in college about six years ago. Where did you go to school? Texas Tech. Nice. And so in doing that, we, we realized that we kind of invented something pretty sweet, which was that it was a machine washable, stretchy, sweat wicking Apple Watch band that, you know, these things that was on generation one. So that they had just come out and not a lot of people really had Apple Watches yet, but I, I suspected that many would get them and that it was a it was a powerful trend. And so we began making these things out of our college apartment, basically, and literally like borrowed my Nana's sewing machine. And we just my uh, my buddy from college, Grant and I just got to work, started stitching bands through the night, selling them on our website and then to some local stores and scaled it over the years to have now uh, total revenue probably looks somewhere around 6 million and we've sold roughly 200,000 watch bands. Holy cow. That is freaking epic. Okay. So I'm just taking some notes here because I want to be able to come back to some of these things. Okay. So that's epic. And that was awesome. And how concise you just covered that. Cause now we can dive in and, and poke around in there. Cause I think that's super epic. Um, so this started as a project in class with the idea of, okay, there's this trend and maybe this is even a lesson that's pretty cool, right? Like you notice this trend of, okay, this thing is just launched. There's probably gonna be a ton of demand for this product. We think we can make a cool accessory for it. So there will be demand. I think my first question is like going from zero to one in terms of like selling those, how did you sell the first hundred units, right? Because you built a website, it sounds like, I don't know, was that, you can even explain, was that part of your class project? But before you really had a bunch of money in the door or revenue, like how did you actually sell those first few products? Yeah. I mean, we essentially started at $0 and scaled it all the way up because we were making these things out of socks that I already had on hand and you used or new <laughs> I, uh, I was like, used, but clean, you know, Probably, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Good like the, disc the discounted ones. Right. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, we, yeah, I literally didn't even have a sewing machine at the time. I was using like one of those, like, hotel little stitch kits that you get and like just wrap that around a watch uh you know an, an apple watch adapter metal piece and sold them around campus on venmo to like a few of our friends and like i think we sold the first maybe 10 that way and then got a sewing machine from my from my nana who had one in her attic basically and we my, my buddy grant actually took a sewing class in high school so he like was pretty familiar with a sewing machine which is just hilarious because you wouldn't expect him to be uh, the one person in the history of that sewing class to do something with, right, with right, it yeah. in, a, in a profitable way. Yeah. So, so yeah, we were able to get to the point where we could make and package a band in 10 minutes. Um, I remember that first. So, so yeah, then we had a, a cheap, you know, website we built ourselves on Wix, which was like maybe 20 bucks a month. And we were literally selling these things to our friends on Venmo. And then we started getting a few hits on our website. The word got out a little bit and we, you know, kind of started really diving into at that time, like what was direct to consumer 
e-commerce and became fascinated by it. Like all these big players at the time, there was like movement MVMT watches. Um, they were like icons to us and basically built this multi-million dollar business of, of selling watches to people directly online. And we wanted to just like embody that business model and, and thought it was a really cool way to like, you know, to essentially just, just to live life as we were kind of figuring out what we wanted to do with our lives just really gravitated towards this idea of, you know, entrepreneurship and product design, which I loved, and then um, brand building. And so it happened all very organically, scaled up very organically. We we then graduated from making them ourselves to having hiring like a local seamstress to assist. Then we went to like this small factory in Austin that made like maybe, I don't know, maybe they made like 5,000 for us total. And then actually this is when the first dagger struck us we were buying all this uh elastic at the time so we stopped making them out of socks pretty early on and we realized that it's too fragile and they they fall apart so we started making them out of like a elastic webbing that you would find on say a, a pair of uh boxer shorts on the waistband and so um we were buying them from this one website we found that was making a bunch of it's called like strap crafts and that you could get these elastic webbing pieces by the meter uh all these different patterns that were super cool so we were just like sourcing this putting them on watch bands and we had all these designs they weren't really our designs we were just buying the fabric and this guy finally figured out what we were doing with it and he's coming from china and basically just uh you know without having to even like talk to us he just knocked us off and started selling them on his own website advertising to our customers selling them like way cheaper like resell retargeting your customers essentially yeah, yeah. but the, the really scary part was that he took all of the supply out of stock so he he basically was like you can't get my stuff anymore wow and so it kind of at that point this was probably a year into the business we were like oh, okay we're done that sucks <laughs> we don't know what to do it was and fun then, while it lasted yeah that was cool and then uh we got some we got connected just off of just researching on google to a company that basically out of new york that works on their own custom they work with their own you know textile mill to make this stuff um overseas and so we got connected with them and we've actually been working with them for the last five years so got it. it was a, actually a great blessing in disguise because without that guy knocking us off we probably would have never taken the leap into just like making everything from you know end to end start to finish ourselves i love that what would you say is the entrepreneurial lesson in that for you that you can carry over into the next <laughs> dagger yeah i think to own your supply chain as much as you possibly can like don't rely on other suppliers if possible or you know other people that are kind of can hold you hostage essentially mm, i love that yeah i was speaking with a cto the other day and he was sharing about a really cool company in the innovative health tech space. And I was like, what, what are you guys different? How, what's your differentiator? Because there's a lot of people in this space right now. And he, he's talking about having a, a product moat and it's really important to have a product moat. Like if you have something cool, how do you slowly, how do you build up your defenses? It sounds like aggressive, but there's a business as aspect to those things of like, what can you do so that people can't replicate you? Right. So that's cool. That's in your specific space, owning your end to end supply chain is a way to, set yourself apart from your peers. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then I think what we did early on too, was we were just hitting storytelling really hard and like 
we're very transparent. Like we're two juniors in college that are, you know, set on doing this as a job after we graduate. And we're like pursuing the American dream. Like, you know, started from, you know, basically making these by hand out of socks or grandma's sewing machine to, you know, turning this into an international business. And so um, that has been like, a, I think the story that we've told that has really resonated with people is like, we were really set out on like living life on our own terms. We didn't want to have to, you know, basically take the traditional route, the, the, the corporate ladder or any of that. We wanted to do things alternatively. I love that. So and I love to take some of these concepts that are super valid and super valuable and then make them super tactical as well for anyone listening who might be similar or totally different business. But I think a lot of these tactics can be replicated so you're starting out, you're not like an Instagram influencer with a hundred thousand followers who are just going to start buying your product. So when you're talking about storytelling, what modalities, you know, and again, you can talk, you can break it up from like the beginning stages of the company and as you've grown, what have been the different ways that you've engaged with new potential customers and then converted them through that storytelling? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we didn't have a big platform, so we just tried to build one and we, um, we tried to think in a very clever scrappy way about where we could tell the story and so we you know we got involved at the stu uh, student newspaper got written about there we worked with some influencers early on to give them free product to kind of shout us out and then slowly began building the account you know little by little to now we uh, i think we have a little over fifty four thousand followers i love that um, so yeah, I mean, it's just been, you know, slow growth and steady growth. And we, you know, I, I, I take every podcast opportunity I can, I can get on because it's a, it's a great place to, to share the story. So, um, uh, we, for many years, you know, ran, uh, we ran, uh, paid ads on social media platforms pretty aggressively. And that was also a big way that we were able to fuel our growth and just kind of bootstrap scale because we would. You know, once you start doing it right, essentially, you put a dollar in, you get three back. Um, so the game has changed a little bit in that department. And so we are trying to figure things out now in this new age of uh, digital entrepreneurship, because uh, when we first started out, anybody could get rich quick on Facebook. Basically, <laughs> you had a yeah. product. Yeah. Um, it's not the case anymore. So now and. I've, I'm at peace with this because I think it is like another blessing in disguise. It's like you actually have to be a real brand. You can't just sell junk to people on Facebook and scale it. You have to have, you have to build community. You have to have a story. You have to have a brand ethos. You have to have everything together in a cohesive vision for, I think, to, to have a, to own a brand that's successful. In this mm, I think that's really, really valuable insight. I love that. I love that. And as an entrepreneur myself, I think about a lot of these things too, right? Because I think conceptually you can feel drawn towards ads because they seem really easy, right? Oh, I literally that I can put a dollar in, I get three back. I don't have to do a lot of legwork. It can grow organically. And, but that at the same time, that of the hundred people who want to jump into the space, maybe 10 have the willpower and the grit and the belief and, and conviction in their product to really do what you're talking about, which is building an authentic brand with depth. Yeah. Love that. Very cool. So student newspaper influencers scaling with ads um, and, and just like to speak into that a bit more. So 
with the current landscape of like trying to advertise a new product, a new brand, what, just for people who might be newer into the space, what's, what's changed that landscape? It's, it's competition, it's changes in policy that make targeting more challenging, anything else you'd include in there? That you've yeah, noticed I mean, just in ex- for yourself. So, mm. I mean, the space has gotten pretty saturated, which is, you know, adds to the challenges because, um, and this is with so many brands that, that come up with something innovative and then they just get knocked off on Amazon to the point where it's, it's impossible for us to actually compete price wise. So we have to do things that are, that show that our value is beyond the Apple watch band itself. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's been a, that's been a big challenge as, you know, as people have sort of, uh, as, as our bands have become recognizable, it's also, oh yeah, this is pretty easy to recreate. You know, if you have a, if you have the materials, which, you know, are accessible. So there has been knockoffs that have popped up. And really what we try to do now is focus on patterns and designs that are very innovative because sure you can find a elastic Apple watch band on Amazon, but you can't find one that is in a, well, uh, any of the like 30 patterns we have, or like for, for instance, this one that I have in my hand, we actually wove three M reflective threads into it. So it has like this really cool, like luminescent vibe to it. And, uh, you know, it's like the reflective runner. Yeah. Thread. So I love that. nobody's really doing that. So like we, we were like, let's, let's make things super unique. It also has like a psychedelic multicolored metal. Finish. Ooh, I like that. So, so like, you know, we're, we're trying to have be the Apple watch band brand with the most personality. Mm. Love that. And, and then also, you know, in, in development, we have uh, belts, bags, like fanny packs, which is actually EMF blocking. Um, and then, and then, bro, uh, let me get that. No, dude, coming <laughs> next month. EMF blocking. That's we could I could nerd out on that topic so hard, but I would I would personally love that. Yeah, it solves a million problems. Hell yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. So I probably want to go back and ask you. Well, let me just stay on this topic before I pivot. Um. What so that channel advertising is fizzling out? It's are you still running ad traffic or now are you focused on more or all organic? Yeah, ads we're we're like it literally is so uh cyclical. We are always still testing new ads and some work, but they don't work as well as they used to for anybody, and so um that's still something we're constantly trying to evolve with and apple's about to launch their ad platform which we're pretty excited about so hopefully we'll have success there since we sell apple watch accessories <laughs> seems like it would be a good fit um what is there sorry just this is like almost a personally selfish question so the apple's launching an ad platform like how or what is it on what like based on um just like using an iPhone, like the, yeah. the the phone platform itself will start to have ads. Yeah. So yeah, pretty, I'll give, I can give a quick synopsis. So last year, iOS 14.5 changed everything that basically made it to where Apple is no longer going to share user data with online platforms like Facebook, which is how we used to be able to run really profitable ads. Yeah. And now they stopped sharing that data. So we can't do the same targeting and attribution. So it like, I mean, it changed the game. Like it was a very meaningful thing for everybody in online advertising. Yeah. Yep. And 
So the reason that Apple did that is because they see the value in advertising. And, you know, at the end of the day, these ads are on everybody's iPhones. And so they're like, why don't we just own that space on their iPhones? So, mm. so we don't know exactly how they're going to implement it yet. They could be doing something where maybe just on your lock screen, it pops up with an ad there. Um, you know, I'm sure they're going to find a few other places that aren't like super, uh, maybe annoying, but, um, but yeah, I mean, essentially they, they realize like that's how they grow to the next level. And these corporations have to find ways to just constantly basically, uh, well, in, increase shareholder value. And so that's like the last frontier for them, or at least mm -hmm. for the next one. Yeah. Smart business move. Yeah, Sucks for everyone sense. in March. And I think it, it's, this is a cool through led through, through, through line, whatever I'm trying to say, through this conversation of like pain point becomes opportunity, which is, oh, that sucked. And now, okay, problem solving hat is on. Let's figure out how we can be an early adopter into this space and strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like considering moats and stuff, I mean, you think about a company and a, somebody like Facebook, as powerful as they are, like they don't even have a moat against Apple and what they can do because Facebook uh, is, I mean, it, it absolutely crushed Facebook and they've had their largest layoffs in company history the last few months and they are they are a fraction of what they once were just yep. because apple decided to do that wow well, other factors involved but that's <laughs> yeah that's but it is one. a big one wow cool so i don't want to like spend too much time on this point but i think it is really interesting and it's been a, it's been a pain point for me not even a pain point but just like one of those mountains that as an entrepreneur if it's not your zone of genius it just looks hard and scary which is paid paid advertising and paid traffic and just like so much fear of failure and just complexity. Having gone through it and gotten gotten successful at it in some ways, I'd imagine you at least have a framework for how you think about testing and spending on advertising or just approaching it from like a strategy perspective for someone new to the game and who's like building a brand and yes, they encouraging them to go try the other channels as well and build organic and all those things. What would you encourage someone who's new or maybe a bit um, you know, maybe they're just struggling when it comes to the advertising space. What would you encourage them from a mindset perspective or what, what is, how do you think about approaching advertising for your company from a yeah, testing I think, perspective? I think that the ads will only be successful if everything else is perfectly aligned and in place. So the website has to have a uh, successful conversion rate and the, the, the psychology of the way the website works has to be dialed in and it has to be highly effective like for conversions to increase average order value. And hopefully you have a product that people come back for more because oftentimes there's so much involved with one brand's metrics for success or another brand's metrics for bankruptcy. So, <laughs> so much has to do with is the product uh, able to be repeat purchased like, is it a subscription or is it a mattress where you get one and you hopefully don't buy another one? Um, is it something that you would tell your friends about or is it more of like a, maybe a less sexy purchase or maybe too sexy purchase that you don't tell your friends about it. But, you know, the idea is that I think you have to consider like what works for your business and all these metrics. And like, there's, there's a, a pretty much a playbook for what would work like 80% margins, ideally around a hundred dollar, um, AOV repeat purchase rate. What's AOV? Uh, average order value. God. Um, 
like that's kind of like the perfect you know like kind of formula for a business and then and then if you have those then you're going to be able to run ads really successfully because you have so much room to basically buy a customer even if you even if you lose money on the first time the customer purchases your product but you know they're going to be back in 20 days for another purchase mm. then it's okay to lose money on the first one cuz you're going to you're going to get that on the second one and then growth will happen love that that's cool so yeah, I guess it's like, yeah, to like for somebody that's maybe getting into it and maybe is wary or like kind of hesitant, it's like, I would, I would develop all the other aspects of the business first. Like how yeah. the email, like the email flows is the biggest, our, our email now is our biggest part of our business. Mm. Um, our email does 50% of our business right now. Wow. Yeah. So like having that dialed in, having the SMS dialed in. So you you more focus on uh, like lead generation, getting their email, and then converting that email into a paid customer. Basically, yeah. Or hopefully, you know, there's a significant amount of those emails that are already customers, and we're just trying yeah, to get of course, them to come back. I love that. Honestly, that's usually me too. I'm like, I see an email, and there's a really good discount or a new drop for a company, and I'm just like, oh yeah, dopamine hit. Let me go and and <laughs> make that purchase. Exactly. Hmm. Very cool. I think that's very helpful. And I think that's great too. Again, it's like not a cop-out option. It's like really just dial in, dial in your core experience and then you can fuel the fire once you're gaining momentum with something like advertising. Yeah. But figure out how you can boots like genuinely bootstrap it, drive people to your website, test, test and iterate on your website. Then you can go explore that option. Yeah. And I, I would like, start following some smart people on Twitter, find the spaces to learn. And I would try if possible to keep it in house and to avoid agencies with that kind of stuff, if possible. I mean, there are some great agencies out there and they do work for people, but especially early on, like agency fees are, are pretty high. So if you're bootstrapping it from a, from zero yeah. do it yourself. And if, if somebody on the team loves it, like in our case, like we don't, we've, we've tried a couple agencies, haven't really had success there because they aren't able to outperform what uh, my co-founder Grant can do. And that's kind of his main thing now. He's like the ads guy for the team. Yeah. And so it's just in-house and it works. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you're not having to play telephone with brand story and brand value. And I'm sure, yeah, you, you guys know how to, you know what the story is to tell, but you also are creative and, and understanding how to tell the story. Yep. Love that. Love that. Who who on Twitter do you pull inspiration from in this space? Well, the first name that comes to mind is Zach Stuck. He is, uh, I mean, yeah, these guys are are geniuses. He he has like a many businesses. He's a twenty something entrepreneur too, and he uh, I've met him once at a conference. But as a Twitter follower, like he's he's freaking awesome. <laughs> in person, he seemed like a really awesome, nice guy too. So yeah, if you're listening, yeah. Zach. <laughs> There but, yeah, there's a, there's, that, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking like, there's a guy, Nick Shackelford. He's great to follow Ezra Firestone. I would actually check him out big time because he has courses under smart marketer. So Ezra Firestone. Yes. Okay. He's the man. Got it. And Nick Shackelford. Shackelford. Ford. Ford. Nick Shackleford. I will find those people and put them in the description because they all have crazy names. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, very cool. Well, I appreciate you walking us through that and sharing a little bit behind the scenes on what, you know, how you guys conceptualize that. Uh, what kind of, 
if at all, what kind of feedback loop do you have with your customers? Like, are you, when you're thinking about designs, is it more just like, we have a feel, like we just genuinely know who we are and what we do. And like, we attract people who feel the same way. Or are you thinking about mechanisms in terms of how to understand what your customers like to drive your strategy going forward? Yeah, I think there's a sort of a happy medium in between the two options. Cause like, and I, I actually ask this question to people all the time. Like I, on one hand, this is something I've heard from like a mentor I really look up to. He's like, just make what you like and just do, focus on what you like and other people will like it, but like, don't create for other people. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, I'm selling to these other people. So I want to know what they want and I want to make what appeals to them. And so we have done a combination of both. I mean, it's a lot of the designs I come up with myself because I like them and, and we release them, but also like, yeah, usually before I go through a round of designing new watch bands, we'll ask our customers on like an uh, Instagram poll or even like on an SMS, we're like, what do you want to see from us? Like what band design would you love next? And we get like hundreds of responses. Uh, but you know, I mean, there are some things that are, uh, sort of like common, like people throw out common suggestions. People love like animal prints, um, you know, stuff like that, like typical patterns. Um, but it's kind of all over the place. So it doesn't really help all the time. It's like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> people want so everything. Fun. Yeah. Right. Makes sense. Oh, that. Some people have bad ideas too, which right. you know, just like, have to oh. be like, thanks for the suggestion. I'm, I don't think I'm going to make a, yeah, we're not going to make an lizard. it themed. <laughs> yeah. Like lizard skin band or some just like random stuff people throw out. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing too, right? Because like people resonate with brands and at different points in their life, different brands will resonate with people more so and they evolve over time. But I, I would say if you were to just try to listen to all your customers, that would dilute the brand so much that it wouldn't really mean anything. And it wouldn't have that potency that it does because you're driving it from a place of like, you know what you want it to feel like. Yeah. Heck yeah. Very cool. I'm trying to think. I feel like that's been a lot of... We, we just kind of crushed through a lot of the main questions that I had for you, or at least the initial things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, well, let's actually go back because we talked about what it takes to, to actually compete nowadays because there's so much saturation. And you, know, you talked about community building, you talked about ethos. Uh, maybe we can go through each of those items that maybe the top like three that you think are important. And what are you guys doing to reinforce those in your brand? Yeah, so we we laser engrave. Uh, I think our, our main like kind of core symbol or what we say we we laser engrave live flexibly on all the hardware of our products, and then we came up with a icon symbol of live flexibly, which is like a sun and a moon symbol. Sun's winking at you. Mm. Um, so kind of what we mean by that is that well, you can wear these products. In a variety of ways so it's like live flexibly like this band is very flexible for you i mean it can be worn you know to, with a tuxedo or to the gym and also it's literally flexible so like we also mean <laughs> like care about your flexibility like this is these bands are great for yoga fitness all that kind of stuff so like it also means like live active i suppose and and then it also means like don't take life too seriously like 
sort of accept the highs and lows that come with life and, and live flexibly and just, you know, stay calm, cool, collected through them. I love that. So that that's the main thing. And then, I mean, otherwise I think it's just about expressing yourself and feeling, uh, you know, like so many people, I mean, our, our main band we sell is the black, all black band, like by like four X people just want that one. <laughs> but I really want to encourage people to like branch out and like try a crazy one and like express yourself, like wear a party on your wrist. Um, so that's another thing that I think we're really trying to do is like encourage people to kind of go for it with their style and like own a unique look. Mm, I love that. Maybe you need to offer like a free therapy session to these people to ask them why they're so in their shell. Thank you for your purchase. Here is a free ticket. Do you yeah, understand why you don't want to express yourself? Get it together. Yeah, that's a good idea. I love that. But that's cool. And so that's really the mission behind it. You know, it's not just it's not just a flexible, stretchy band that's a little more expensive than the other ones on the market. It's high quality. It has those like interesting features that make you stop and look at it and realize someone really put intentionality into product design. But it's also a reinforcement of like how I can and am currently inspired to live my life. Like if I'm buying your product, it's because I probably want, I resonate with what it means to live flexibly. And I want that reminder on a daily basis. Yeah. And I'll say like literally almost everything I buy, both the shirt and hat I'm wearing are mission driven companies. And I didn't even like do that on purpose, but genuinely like I gravitate towards like this company sick, like they're, it's called stay. And I think they're more like mental health, um, like suicide prevention maybe, but the shirt just says, I think it says like, stay kind to yourself on the back with a big heart. And I was like, I don't, that just feels good. And I want like a random stranger to see that. Yeah. And, um, I love that. And I'm like, I don't know, I guess I'm like a weirdo off in this like far direction, but I, I love reminders. And even like, the athletic wear that I buy, like I love companies that are like stand for resilience um, and like strength and courage and things like that. And, you know, if you're going to put on a random t-shirt, you can get a t-shirt from anywhere, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we actually put out a collection called the optimist capsule, which the idea was each one had a powerful mantra and it was like, you're wearing this on your wrist, like a tattoo. Like what is the, so we had, we had one that said be good. We had feel peace live or uh, live the dream and then know your power mm. so the idea is like what does that make somebody feel like if they're wearing a watch band that says know your power you know and um you know i mean people loved them but unfortunately like it's it's one of those things like i designed for what i wanted and maybe not for what the audience wanted and we still have tons of those that we're trying to get rid of so so everyone listening express yourself wear cool mantra brand bracelets <laughs> yeah scoop them up yeah. Cool. All right. So that's all super epic. Dang. There was another question that just came into my mind. I don't know if forgetting. Um, let me see if I can remember it pretty quickly. Okay. So you started with Apple watches. You called yourself an elastic innovation company. Is that correct? Yes. First off, that made me smile the minute that came out of your mouth at the beginning. I was like, I freaking love that. Um, I think there's a cool differentiation of like, 
you're not a product. You're here to solve a problem and stand like, as you mentioned, stand for something. So when did that shift happen? And like, what is for you the, the power behind defining yourself in that way? Yeah, I, I, well, I feel like the, I always like, you know, just recently too, like just started changing when people ask like what I do or what my company is like, I always used to just say, oh, we make stretchy Apple watch bands. And then I realized like that's playing too small. Like we actually have a big vision and I want to like share the vision, which is, you know, if we just, you know, you can take so many products and if we just add our element of elastic to them, they become way more functional. And so one of them being the fanny pack that started popping up and realized that, you know, the fanny packs are awesome. They're very functional. They're very cool. But like that um, strap on them is not flexible and it actually does kind of get in the way and I would always have to adjust mine. And so we came up with one that's actually modular and the, the strap can be used on its own as a belt. It can also be threaded through the bag that has loops on it to be used as a full on fanny pack. And it's way more comfortable and it also allows interchangeability so that you can maybe rock a white bag with a leopard print belt or a purple bag with a gray belt and you can kind of just make it your own. So that way it, it really would feel like everybody has uh, their own bespoke version of this bag that nobody else really has. You created this essentially. And so that's that's the concept and that's why we're like trying to be elastic innovations it's like we also added emf blocking copper fabric inside the bag so it's like we realized everybody's wearing these fanny packs on their chests or on their waists where all their organs are and their phones are in there that are just emitting radiation and so it's like let's line this thing with some emf fabric and then it becomes stylish but also functional and, and like on a, on a real level like this is like a, a bag that does good for you Hmm. um so we're putting that same fabric in the hats and and uh those will be out later this year as well let's go hats i love that yeah. i think that's so epic to be able to zoom out and literally be flexible in your business design to realize we're here to solve like we're not a solution looking for a buyer we are here to solve problems for a consumer like a specific type of consumer that values expression and flexibility um but that's so dope because it just expands your potential. And I imagine you guys, it's probably not just about money, but obviously like it's cool to continue to expand and grow. No one wants to like shrivel. So it's like, cool, we've done this. We've like crushed it selling black wrist straps. How can we sell cool different colors and variations and continue to com compete, but also move tangentially or uh, well, that's not the word I'm looking for, but <laughs> move in parallel and slide into, um, you know, alternative markets like that are all still under that same umbrella and add your cool, unique flair. So I freaking love that. Heck yeah. Um, well, honestly, man, that we've covered so much. I'll just open it up to you. What, on your journey, what do you think have been some of the, besides the, the first dagger you shared, have there been any other big daggers that you've run into in your journey and what have you learned from those? Yeah, I mean, daggers the whole way for sure. You know, it's like I get a dagger every day. <laughs> Little daggers, some bigger daggers, but nothing that's ever killed us, you know. So Amen. just get stronger. Um I think that you know, one of the big daggers I think for us has been managing ambition and cash flow and all that. And you know, we maybe year three of it, 
you know, we were like, oh my gosh, we are going to be rich. Like, let's go. And then, so this was maybe right before the pandemic and then pandemic hit things like we couldn't get any more product and then uh, shipping containers got insanely expensive and you know we were still able to sell some of the stuff but like it, it got really hard and it's it's actually stayed extremely challenging since then because then ios came out with their thing people are now you know uh, have less uh free flowing income to spend on little dopamine snacks like an apple watch band you know it's like <laughs> a lot of people are spending money on the essentials now and so it's like okay how how can we still grow amidst all this and um you know one thing i would have done differently too is like crowdfunded more designs and like really like uh had a core selection you know you know this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like designing for me versus designing for the audience and i do think i made a mistake designing only for me and like trying to just like assume that everybody would buy those and you know ordering thousands of them and you know some of those we just like went for it and then nobody really wanted them everybody just wanted the basic ones so what i would have done differently and what we're going to do here you know moving forward is like have a core selection of bands like six solids that are going to be around forever and then offering like little limited edition ones on the monthly like yeah just mm. this one like only made a hundred of them like go get them and instead of like you know, what we would do is we would release like 10 designs all at once. And we had invested like all our money into those. And we're like, everybody like, look what we did. Like, do you like them? And then, you know, of course, like, you know, they, they would do all right. But like, um, we also just, I think, made things uh, too complicated for ourselves because we just, you know, now have so much inventory that we're like basically trying to figure out where to put it and, and how to distribute it. <laughs> And how to, you know, we have all this inventory and we're also like, we need to make new stuff. So how do we make room for the new stuff? And that's kind of been like the challenge. Uh, that's, that's the present challenge that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. So um, overall though, yeah, I mean, you know, other than that, I think we were really, uh, we were really maybe stubborn or ignorant because we wanted people to go through our buying journey on our website, go through the Braxley experience. <laughs> um, so we avoided Amazon, but I think if we would have got on Amazon four or five years ago, um, we would be one of, you know, we just now got on Amazon and it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a journey to climb the Amazon ladder. I mean, I think we can do it, but, um, it would have been, I would have been really interested in seeing what it would have been like to be on Amazon back then and trying to make that work as a brand. It's just a tricky place to be as a brand because you hear so many people say, do it. So many people say, don't. You don't really have the same relationship with your customers there, but 25% of the internet will only ever buy on Amazon. They don't trust putting their credit card in anywhere else. Wow. So there's another aspect of it that's like, let's just meet customers. Where is it trust or is it laziness? It's probably both. If people love the two day free shipping or, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, shipping. you know what you're going to get. Like, I don't have, if I were through target.com, I have no clue when it's going to show up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or how much it's going to cost. And I almost always know I'm getting the cheapest price if I'm going to order it through Amazon. Usually. Yeah. It's great. I mean, I use it as a consumer, you know, it's just like, so it's, it's, uh, it is what it is. So we're trying yeah. to, you know, kind of navigate that whole thing and just, you know, stay true to our core. I love that. I love that. Cool. Well, last question for you. 
what, well, and you kind of did share like what's coming for you, but what is one thing you're super excited about? Maybe it, whether it's something you have shared or have not yet shared about and, um, and why? Actually, just kidding. I have a better question. Okay. Um, here's a better question. Of your own, because obviously to get to where you're at today, you experience a bunch of daggers, lots of lessons learned, probably a lot of grit, a lot of hard times. What are you most proud of in terms of how you've grown as an entrepreneur in building this business? Yeah, I love that question. I'm most proud of like the personal growth that I've been able to do for myself along the way. Like, you know, I've always like kind of kept this in perspective. Like even if the business fails tomorrow, I grew so much more than I ever thought I would like the last five, six years. I mean, I had no idea what I was going to do after college. I was, you know, like pretty creative and motivated to do something awesome, but like I felt lost. And now I, I feel like I have such a good grasp on every area of business because I've worn so many hats and the business has also bought me a lot of freedom to be able to do, you know, say like go on retreats or like travel. And there's been so much personal growth in being able to do that alone that like wherever the business ends up, like my, me, I'm like further along than I could have dreamed of being at my age now. Mm. And so that's like been what I'm most proud of is like the, the, uh, you know, sort of like they say, like the journey, not the destination, like the happiness is definitely in the journey. I feel like I've like really valued that the whole way through. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I lied. That wasn't my last question because now I have to ask another question or at least bring something up. Um, I, I hope it wasn't the last time I've seen you in person, but one of the last times that we saw each other was at Matt Worthington's uh, event. And I shared with you how I, I just like had to pause and be like, I so appreciate just being able to be your friend and see what you and your partner, Maddie, are doing just on a daily basis because you both crush your businesses. But it's like so not the stereotypical thing from the outside. And I know so much work went into making it the way it is. But the conversation that we had, I'd love for you to speak into it because you both in your own lanes, but then now co-creating a relationship plus two entrepreneurs in a household, this life where yes, you're entrepreneurial, but you've like put a lot of thought into what you want your life to look like. And from my perspective, it's one of the dopest expressions of that thing of just how do you enjoy the ride while you're ambitious? Because like, I see every day you guys cooking dinner together and laughing and having shared moments and you're always in a cool country. And I know it's not always that. And I know there's hard things and stuff too, but how did you approach not just the, all the business that we talked about, but just like lifestyle design as you built this out for yourself? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. I, hmm, that's a great question, man. I feel like I need to like journal this one for an hour and think about it, but no, like it, it's, it's about just enjoying the hell out of life mm. and like pushing comfort zones, like trying to go big for the moonshot and like, just not really caring as to whether or not land there it's like just like making the effort to like leap towards like the the most ambitious thing we can possibly want in life well and i, I should say too like I, as i've learned like the most ambitious thing i want in life is actually very achievable like 
most of the greatest things in life are free and are very pure and they're kind of like right in front of us accessible at all times right namaste but like the uh i think the essence of what i like why i was like my why for even doing this was to just like be able to create and like feel like an artist in life and to to just live on my own terms and along the way like maddie and i met and like found a girl that was also doing the same thing and you know it's just like i feel like you know for us like we're so proud and like in love with our love story because it's just uh feels feels like we sort of um or you know i guess just like the perfect combination and like it's led to this uh this beautiful abundant life we have so <clears throat> like it's just been through like trying to yeah you know i guess create live in a very pure way which you know is like just about i guess being being present yeah present healthy balanced you know and then also like finding community and like just like overall like being surrounded with good people mm. and that's kind of led to everything like we're just a product of our environment and so that's what i've tried to do is just mm. construct my environment to be great and then i'm a result of that i guess so good so good man i'm lit up i'm so glad that we ended on that note yeah. well braxley thank you so much for taking the time i've learned a ton from this conversation and i just love you as a human so i'm glad that we got to go deep on this side of life and um i know you added so much value for everyone listening especially people in the brand space so thank you very much my man absolutely man i know i say i do every podcast i can but i would never miss your podcast Delaney. i Let's love go. you dude <laughs> <laughs>